This is the Improve Photography Podcast, episode number 228. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Improve Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and today I'm joined by a new voice on the podcast, but you've probably seen as Kickstarter. This is Ryan Stout, who's behind the Arsenal Kickstarter that has gone absolutely nuts this week. Uh, if you haven't seen it, there's still 20 days left in the, in the Kickstarter, and it's already raised 691000 bucks. Uh, so, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jim. So what have you, I mean, be honest here, what have you done to celebrate in the last 10 days? <laughs> well, I'd like to say I've been able to celebrate, but it's, uh, you know, just managing the campaigns, honestly, a, it's not a 24-7, but it's been, it's been pretty much my, my life since, uh, since the second I launched it. So You haven't uh, at least taken the wife out to dinner or nothing? No, not yet. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I've just been buried in, buried in questions and press and all these other things, so... Um, and then I'm, you know, trying to set things in motion for once we, once we're done with the campaign so we can get it out the door. So, awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm hoping once, once things settle down that we'll be able to, we'll be able to celebrate a little bit. So. Well, congratulations on a successful launch Thank you. for the friend of yours in the elevator who you happen to see and says, Hey, you did something on Kickstarter. What was it? How do you explain Arsenal in 30 seconds? Um, so Arsenal is, it's basically a combination of several different tools to try and help people take better photos. So the kind of the first feature we talk about in the video is we've, we've built these machine learning models to kind of help suggest settings for people. The second set of tools is this photo, these photo stacking tools so that it will automatically for you do things like exposure bracketing and focus stacking and average stacking to do longer exposures. And it does the actual merging on the device and writes a new uh, raw or JPEG back to your SD card. And then the third set of tools is sort of these photo review composition tools. So, um, you know, we have where you can, um, you connect to Arsenal. It's this hardware that sits on your camera, plugs into your camera through USB, and then you connect to it through your, through your phone and kind of control your camera from your phone. So you can see, you know, full resolution uh, previews of the photos you're shooting. You can see live view. You can do manual settings and things like that. So it's sort of this, um, you know, I feel like the name Arsenal is appropriate. It's sort of this toolbox for photographers um, to give you some of the tools that, uh, in my opinion, cameras should probably be shipping with but aren't at the moment. So, <laughs> um, so we've kind of taken this this add-on hardware piece that you can kind of that you can use to to um, improve your workflow and improve your experience taking photos. Cool. So the way that I see it is it's a very slim and wide device that fits on your hot shoe. And it uh, has an LED rack kind of in the in the back that makes it look kind of like a like the world's smallest UFO has landed on your hot shoe. And then it, there's a cord going from it into your you know your port that you would normally use for your uh, your trigger or whatever it is to uh, you know your your cable release. Um, and then it, it's giving you features like. Um, like it will suggest settings for the for the situation or time lapse or different things like that. So to me, the video was mo mostly focused on the the portion of of this device that wasn't as exciting to me. And then at the end, you tease these other things that are very interesting to me uh, and what made it a compelling device to me. 
So um, the, the beginning part, what, what you seem to focus on more in the marketing of this is it helps you to figure out your camera settings. Um, and so my question with this is on the auto mode on, for example, a Nikon DSLR, they already have a database of 200,000 images that they will use, you know, bright on the top, dark on the bottom, probably a landscape. It's a sky on, on the top and a darker landscape. And then it sets the settings that way. So cameras yeah. already do this. So what yeah. is it that Arsenal does better? Yeah. And so cameras have actually done that for 20 years. Yeah, now, right? exactly. Um, yeah, they actually do it. Um, I, I think the big thing is most of that only goes into choosing um, exposure, making sure the exposure is correct. Now, there are a few cameras that, that will look at things like uh, what's called optical flow to pick shutter. But, but generally, you know, generally their main concern in the auto modes is actually just picking, making sure the exposure is correct. So, it, you know, there's actually a lot more that kind of goes into settings as far as, um, you know, just because the exposure is at the right level sort of picking the right uh, shutter to match the situation. So um, you'll notice like auto modes almost never, they don't know if they're on a tripod or not. So they tend to, um, they tend to pick really short shutters. Whereas in a lot of situations, you know, you could stop down and you could get a longer exposure. Um, and then Arsenal also, you know, we can combine it with these stacking techniques so that as long as you have the option to say, you know, do these stacking, do the stacking modes when it's appropriate, if you're sitting there on a pier uh, and it sees that it's a pier um, and it detects, it's got an accelerometer in it to detect vibration, realizes it's on a tripod, it's going to do a long exposure. So you get that smooth water effect or you'll get, you know, if it's looking at waves, it'll give you that. Um, so you said you said accelerometer. So this is um, the device that would detect, you know, vibration or movement um, mm -hmm. uh, of the camera. So is there a physical accelerometer in the device, or using that digitally, just saying, "Hey, uh, things are shaking a lot." No, it's in it's in the device, and it's a really sensitive. So like we can even detect, um, you know, if you have a kind of a cheap tripod, we can kind of compensate for that. <laughs> That's it's cool. Funny, it's funny, actually, when I started when I started testing with it, you know, I, you kind of always wonder, you're like, how steady are tripods? And, you know, it's 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 one of those once you get a really nice accelerometer in there, you can really you can actually measure, you know, how much how much that's shaking. So so having that data and then having like I said, most the most of the DSLRs don't do um, any sort of, you know, you're shooting a runner. They're not actually measuring how much is the runner moving across um, across the scene. Uh, there's an algorithm called optical flow that we use that basically, um, you know, we can say, we, we constantly take frames off the sensor and we can say, okay, it moved two pixels here, two pixels here. Um, and then we can kind of interpolate and say, we need to move the shutter up in order to stop this motion. And then there's kind of a whole thing of based on, well, let me back, let me back up a little bit. So kind of like the exposure algorithms, we've built this database of, of good, photos and their associated settings. And so we use that uh, to prioritize um, to prioritize kind of these constraints that you have at any given time. So the first step we do is we basically take, uh, we take the scene, you know, we take a, a frame off the sensor and we say, okay, what, um, what are some similar photos to this shot based off of kind of the things in the, in the photo? And then we, from there, we can say, okay, what were the settings that were used to take these photos? What do they have in common? You know, 
And then we can, from there, we, we have this list of constraints that we basically are able to take the data from the similar photos and use those to kind of, um, we call it a solver, but it's basically to, to um, prioritize the constraints that you have at the moment. So, you know, just because settings worked in some other situation doesn't mean they're going to work here, but the algorithm's kind of able to learn you know, they're tr like, oh, in this situation, they're trying to do a long shutter or, oh, they're trying to open wide, you know, or, or whatever. So, um, so some of the constraints that we have are, you know, we have this subject motion constraint that looks at how much things are moving and can kind of say what the minimum shutter speed needs to be if the priority says it's, if the um, algorithm says it's a priority to stop the motion. Okay. Uh, we have dynamic range, so we can say, okay, how much dynamic range is in a scene? And then we know that you know if if it's not as if it's not using the full dynamic range of the sensor, we can increase ISO without you know losing detail. Okay, so uh, I have two questions at this point. Then, yeah. uh, first, sorry, I'm go I'm going into the weeds. No, that's okay. <laughs> I'm glad to, I'm glad you are. Uh, okay. First question is this: Is this really so hard to just do yourself in the camera? I mean, it seems to me that a photographer should at least understand still shutter aperture and ISO. And once you do, it's not hard to set. And so mm -hmm. is it worth this this new device and all this complexity and potential for bugs and, and, this, and mm -hmm. uh, the hooking stuff up to your camera to solve a problem that may or may not even be there? Uh, I think it depends on your priorities. You know, people like us, we've shot, you know, I'm sure you've shot for years and years and years. And I think, I think it's easy to kind of forget what the experience is like when you're a new photographer. Um, I would say that, you know, the AI stuff is, is geared more towards new photographers. Um, but kind of on the flip side, I use it a lot when I'm out shooting a landscape and the lights changing like that, you know, um, there are times when you just, you just don't have the time to kind of make sure you do all the right processes. Um, and I can get, sorry, I can get into too. There's kind of more, there's more things that it looks at, um, that, that a lot of people just, you know, aren't taking into consideration and, uh, and, you know, it's sort of the, sum of the parts are bigger, whatever the expression is, you know, the, um, I forget what the expression is. <laughs> the total is, is more total than the sum of the parts. I'm like, whatever. Part, I gotcha. You know? Either way. I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of those photos where you look at and you just say, you just say, um, and composition obviously plays a huge role in this, but. Um, you know, a lot of the photos that I, that I look at and I'm just like, wow, every, like this photo really strikes me. It's that kind of all the parts are right. You know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, we can't help with composition obviously, but I think there's a, like, my wife's a great example. She has a natural gift for composition. I can hand her a camera and she will compose an amazing shot, but she can't, she knows, you know, she hasn't taken the time to learn the settings and to, you know, really read up but she still wants to take photos. And so we're kind of, you know, for those feature, for that feature, we're really sort of appealing more to the beginner intermediate photographers. Um, and then we've tried to build kind of, you know, and some of these were, I'm building it for myself too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> tried to build in, you know, some of the stacking and review and time-lapse tools for, for the more serious photographers. Okay. So the second question about the, about the camera settings portion at least is, it's not, there's no, there's no algorithm to a good looking photo. Um, you, there's an algorithm to a, to a scientifically correct photo. You know, we got this perfect picture, perfect looking histogram, uh, sharpness is picture perfect, um, etc. But, um, 
but but it, uh, it it may not capture anything interesting. So for example, I can take a, a picture of a sunset that is absolutely horribly right. boring, but it's technically correct. Um, right. And and you know actually we we want to under this underexpose this to make it look better, or maybe we want to overexpose well, this to get a creative look. It seems yeah. rare to me that the scientifically perfect shot is the artistically perfect shot. Yeah, and I think I should say, um, you know, um, sort of in the in the camera community, scientifically perfect is sort of a weird term, right? Because you look at even the, the current exposure algorithms, they're not hitting middle gray at 18%, right? Like, like what settings you choose is based on your subject. You know, a, a picture of a, you know, I have a picture I took that's a tree in a fog, you know, and it needs to be almost you know, white needs to be white. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you were trying to set, you know, middle gray, it would be totally wrong. So, so part of, part of what Arsenal tries to do is learn from other people's photos. And, and obviously there are situations where, you know, things don't fall into the pattern. Right. But I think, um, you know, I think generally when people want to take a photo and maybe this is the, the engineer in me, there's definitely a pattern to, um, to what people, generally want to see from their photos, right? So, um, you know, you see, uh, I keep coming back to water because I love shooting water, but, you know, you tend to see, or, or like sunsets, you know, clap, like softer clouds where you've done a little longer exposure looks nice. You know, you go into a forest, you typically don't want to stop all the way down because you're going to add, you're going to have a really complex photo, right? There, There's always exceptions, but I think, you know, for people who are getting started, it's, it's this, um, you know, they don't really, they don't really have the experience background that, that they need to make some of those calls. And so my hope is Arsenal can kind of be a learning tool. You know, it's like when I was learning, I remember, uh, you know, I went to the beach and I was trying to get, I'd seen these pictures of waves with the motion of waves. And I, for some reason I kept shooting like these really long, really long shutter speeds and thinking like, why am I not getting this? And finally somebody was like, yeah, try like one second. And I, you know, as soon as you do that, it, it looks great. Right. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, for whatever reason, that didn't dawn on me. And so Arsenal is kind of able to learn from all these shots and see that. And, you know, not, it, it again kind of comes back to your priorities. I think for, for you and me, people who have been shooting for a while, um, you know, the AI features not, might not appeal to them, uh, except in sort of these heavily time constrained situations. But, um, you know, that's fine. Like, uh, I think there's still a lot of stuff on there that will appeal to the more serious photographer so. and i think so too i think there are yeah. things because i am excited okay, about this yeah. um <laughs> uh, and so that's what i am excited to get to in the second half is the features that that did have me very excited with this and a lot of people obviously because holy cow six hundred ninety-one thousand. i have the page open and every once in a while i still see it ticking up to more more and more backers uh so there are some really cool things uh that this thing does and i'm excited to get to that before we do that i want to take a second and thank artbeat studios for um, sponsoring this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. If you're looking for a high-quality fine art printing company, Artbeat Studios can print your photos on metal, acrylic, wood, canvas, and all kinds of different things. It's a great way to get an interesting, different look on your photo than only the paper print. Whether you want to buy for yourself and hang on your wall, if, or if you're a professional photographer that sells your work at galleries, Artbeat Studios is the place to go. They're based in California and offer free shipping to all orders over $100 to the contiguous United States. 
Best thing, they offer pro pricing to all pro photographers from 20 to 30% off normal prices. Check them out today and get 25% off your first order. Go to artbeatstudios.com slash improve. And we thank them for supporting this episode of the podcast. All right, Ryan. I, I tried to play, uh, you know, the hard-hitting <laughs> interviewer at the start because I didn't want to seem like a fanboy. But this thing is really, really cool. Um, so let's let's talk about some of the features that I think this audience is really going to be interested in. First of all, walk us through the time lapse because most mm-hmm. cameras these days, uh, at least the more advanced cameras, at least have an intervalometer built into right. the camera. Finally, I don't know why it took them so long to build that in, yeah. but at least we have that. But Arsenal's obviously taking it to a far different level. What can Arsenal do for somebody who wants to shoot time lapse that they can't do right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so there's two big things, uh, and it's funny because these seem like so obvious, but um, the majority of cameras don't have them. So the the biggest one I think is you can preview your time lapse while it's being shot. That's awesome. Which which to me is just. It's, it's a massive time saver. I've shot so many time lapses before I built this where, you know, you get three hours in and you're like, oh, there was a giant like spot on the sensor or I thought this was good, but it wasn't. Or you kind of have the opposite where you're like, I'm going to pack up and I'm ready to go home. But, you know, because we don't see the time, like it's actually hard as just a person standing there to, to notice some of these slow motions that end up looking great in time lapse. So you end up walking away when things are just getting good, you know? Yeah, that just happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was mm-hmm. shooting, it was this great time lapse, this rainbow appeared, and I was like, yes, it like appeared right where I was shooting. I was like, victory! And then I got home, looked at my time lapse, and it had rained on the lens, and it was uh, ruined. Yep. <laughs> um, so so tell me, what, what will the UI look like for that? Um, I mean, will it, I mean, will I have like a scrub that I can go back and like, yep. keep previewing yeah, so- up to that point? So there's basically a button that says, you know, play the play the video up until now, um, and then uh, you can. I, we may change this around so that you can kind of continuously scrub through it. But right now, the UI is basically you can push a button to play play the video up until now, and then kind of say you're done. And oh, anytime that's perfect. you perfect. Yeah, anytime you go back to it, it'll give you the newest set of frames or whatever. So, um, and, and and is it just? The photos are still stored on the camera, right? We're just getting small previews that are sent over to the phone. It's a 1080p preview, so oh, it that's pulled, pretty good. Yeah, it, it basically pulls the photos off as they come in, and then um, resizes them and stores a cache version on on the device. Um, and then when you go to play it, put it creates a video file on the fly and sends it to the phone and plays it. So, so can I share out straight from the phone at that point? I don't have that as a feature yet um you know i've started to get some requests for that but um so i'll probably i'll probably make it so there's a way to write back the file at the end but there's sort of a there's sort of a little technical limitation in the putting together a really high resolution video other bigger than like 1080p will be would be tricky sure Um, yeah so so we may end up having where you can render like a 1080p video out you know video out and share it from there but yeah that'd be handy but i mean this thing has so many features at some point you gotta you gotta chop it off and say this is what we can put in version one yeah and and that's like yeah right now basically we've got this list of features and other than a couple little stretch goals we haven't really you know we're 
those are, <laughs> that's all we can do for probably for the, you know, the next six months. So <laughs> yeah, no, that, and that's, I'm glad to hear that because I'm, I'm working right now on the really good photo spots app, which should be out like next right. week. And yeah. I've been fighting the same thing. They're like, you come up with these ideas three quarters of the way through the project. And it's like, Oh, that would be so yeah. cool. And you just can't, you've got to, you got to yeah. say, Nope, this is what version one looks like and stick with it mm -hmm. till the end. Then yeah, you can yeah. improve later. Exactly. Yep. Okay, so I can preview the the time lapse. Is there anything else with time lapse uh, specifically that I can't already do? Yep. So we have a exposure algorithm algorithm that we've trained. Um, it's similar to how the exposure algorithms work in your camera, except that it's trained off of it. it um, sorry, the predictions are based off of the previous frames in the photo. So what that lets you do is you can you can do a smooth day to night transition. Excellent beyond when your camera would meter so your camera you know like in in dark scenes it it doesn't take a long enough exposure to actually correctly exactly. the scene. so um so that's really nice because there are there are some tools out there you know that kind of let you say try to maintain this luminosity level or try to you know do whatever but the problem with that is is you know exposure is not based off of luminosity right what mm -hmm. a, like a night scene should be darker you know like yep. there's um, there's kind of lots of factors that go into that. So we've trained it on all these photos to, to, you know, figure out what the correct exposure is. And we also, one of the other things that it gives you is you can set, um, you can set ranges for shutter ISO and aperture fantastic and, and prioritize. Them. And that so, should have been built into our cameras many, many yeah, years ago. It's it, crazy exactly. that it's not there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I, there, I think there's maybe one other tool out there that kind of does similar stuff, but, um, I think it's price point is a little higher and anyway. Um, so, so I think, you know, for, from a time lapser perspective, it's, it's awesome. Like, it's just so great to have preview and have where you can walk away from it and not be babysitting it while it's, while the sun's going down. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of places I'll go, I'll, I'll bring two cameras and I'll put Arsenal on, on both of them and the one I'll do time lapse on and I'll just leave it and walk around and take stills with the other one, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's great to be able to just come back and, Oh, the time-lapse actually came out. You know, it's kind of a common thing with time-lapse to, to, you know, have a 30% success rate. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, the, I, I've, I've done this so many times where you're shooting the day to night time-lapse, you know, you're seeing the sun go down or vice versa, the sun coming up. Uh, mm -hmm. even, even a nighttime lapse where the moon, you know, breaks out of clouds yeah. Yeah. and you can't use auto mode. I mean, your, your initial thought would be, oh, I'll just put it in auto mode because then yeah. as it gets darker, it will mm -hmm. change the settings for me. And the problem is jitter, uh, that, yeah. you know, it, it, you know, each exposure, you know, it's going to be relatively close, but you know, one cloud moves, whatever, and it's going to change your exposure. And then when you put the time lapse together, it's, you know, same right. exposure. Oh, right. Too dark, too bright, too bright. It's just all jittery. It doesn't look smooth. Yeah. And so you need something smarter to do what this is called bulb ramping, where you're changing the, mm -hmm. the shutter speed, uh, over time as, as the sun setting. And so it, it takes some level of intelligence to do this. You can't just use auto mode on the camera. Right. Well, and the main, and the main reason, you know, I think the Sony cameras, their auto mode, uh, maybe it's not auto, maybe it's in their time-lapse app, but there is sort of a smoothing thing and you can get, you can get decent results, right? Like it's not, it's not bad, but the problem is 
they're still they're still basing the metering off of a quick grab off the sensor mm-hmm. and that doesn't work once it's dark right because right. there just, just isn't enough you know it's so noisy they can't make a it can't make a discernment um, on the exposures so. yeah none of the auto modes work for night mm-hmm. photography you, you just yeah. can't uh, even yeah. with exposure it just won't it just is not designed to do that because yeah. the camera doesn't the the cameras built in are they're very rudimentary devices and they don't want to have any kind of crazy setting uh, because mm. they're not confident they can get it. So they don't want to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Anything else with time-lapse that we're missing so far? Um, those are the, that's, that's basically the core features. Um, not for launch, but we're planning, you know, um, once we've shipped, we're planning to add some kind of, um, ramping to the interval, for example, for people who want to speed up and slow down and things like that. So talk about that. What do you mean by that? Um, so I've gotten some requests, actually quite a few requests to be able to do interval ramping, I think is the technical term where you're, you're sort of increasing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you start with a two second shutter speed, one and a quarter, one half, et cetera. And it's getting faster and faster and suddenly becomes real time or whatever. Yeah, something like that. So um, for whatever reason, I'm not sure exactly who's asking for that feature, but um, we've had quite a few requests yeah, for that. Yeah, that could be cool. It'd be, I could think of some cool things you could do with that. I've never yeah. shot anything like that, but it could be yeah, kind of neat. I haven't either, but it's easy enough to add down once we, after we ship. So. Sure. <laughs> um, and how does the phone connect to the R2 arsenal? Is it Wi-Fi? Um, so it's Bluetooth. Um, it's the Bluetooth for classic. So it's the fast one and Bluetooth, that version of Bluetooth actually leverages Wi-Fi for the file transfers. So you don't have to change your Wi-Fi network, but nice. you still get the Wi-Fi speed. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's nice to have. So once uh, I pair my phone with Arsenal once, anytime Arsenal's on the Bluetooth should hook up yeah. just like with Bluetooth, he- Bluetooth headphones or a Bluetooth speaker in a yeah. car. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, much better. You know, Part of the priority was making sure it's got it's got to connect quick to be a good experience, you know. And so range will be about 150 feet. A uh, hundred. A hundred feet. Yeah. Um, and can you trigger wirelessly, like if I wanted to set up a camera at a basketball game or something like that? Yes. Yeah, so there's there's a full there's basically a couple of screens. So the time lapse is its own screen. The AI suggestion. Uh, is its own screen and then there's a full um, manual control screen that has you know has live view has where you can change any of the settings change the mode change the white balance things like that Um, and all the pages basically have a trigger have a trigger option at the bottom so um, on the time lapse the trigger start on the time lapse screen the trigger starts the time lapse um, and on the manual screen it, it just takes the photo um, and you can pick, you know, there's, there's sort of some, I haven't talked about this much cause nobody's really been asking, but there's, you know, you can say like for the cameras that support it, you can hold the button down and do a bulb shot or, you nice. know, there's, kind of, there's a list of types of shots that you can do, uh, types of triggering that you can do. So, um, uh, yeah. So if you want to set it up and, and trigger remotely, you can do that. If you want to be in the shot, you can do that. You know, um, there's a time delay as well. So. Yeah, that's really nice. I, I have been I have been editing for this last week a video with Josh Corgan, who's an amazing real estate photographer, and the the training is up on Improved Photography right now. If anybody wants to go check it out, it's called Real Estate Photography or Master Real Estate Photography in Two Hours Flat. It's also available on Improved Photography Plus. Anyway, I've spent the last like 
40 hours barely sleeping editing this thing. Um, and that's that's how he shoots everything for real estate is he's walking around with it. He sets up his composition and then he walks around in the composition with his flash and flashes, you know, the couch, the ceiling, the walls, etc., to get the interesting lighting. And he's just triggering the camera by pressing, you know, take a picture uh, with with his phone. And he's using the, the, the Canon app because he's on a Canon 5D Mark IV. And uh, so a lot of real estate photographers, there's another use for it is you want to be able to do that. You want to be able to walk around with your phone and take pictures. And the reason you want your phone instead of just like a wireless trigger is you can actually see the pictures that you're taking. Uh, mm. So so this would work for that, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, two real quick, just to kind of talk about the, the photo review part of it. So if you take a look at the video, you can kind of see... Um, you know, I've used several of the cameras apps and they all have this, you know, you can tell that they're low, they're sending over the Wi-Fi the full resolution image mm -hmm. and it's very they slow. They don't cache anything. So it's this really slow experience that really no, like you just end up not using it because it's so slow. So, so one of the things that I can do with Arsenal since the, you know, it's a little bit more powerful processor is we actually, you know, there, uh, the API to the cameras, I'm able to get a really small thumbnail. So that gets sent right away. And then it downloads the bigger version and resizes it to a few different versions on the hardware and then sends those versions progressively over. So you'll get you'll get the little thumbnail, you'll get a higher quality thumbnail, you know, um, a third of a second later, um, a full second later, you'll get a full screen version. And then it takes two or three seconds to get the like the um, the full resolution shot on like a. 30 megapixel camera or something, right? Mm -hmm. So the experience is really nice because there's kind of caching at all these at all these layers. And so once your phone has cached and Arsenal's cached it, you can go, you know, you can go back through all the photos and, you know, almost immediately tap to zoom in full full resolution. You can flick through them. It feels like the app, like the photos app on an iPhone or something like that. Um, and then, you know, as soon as you take a new one, you know, you can you can almost immediately go into it. And then, you know, by the time you've tapped on it again, you've got the full version and you can zoom in. So it's great for kind of checking, checking all the details in stuff. Um, what's really interesting, actually, is several of the bigger cameras, they actually store a JPEG version. Like if you're shooting raw, they'll store a smaller version, a JPEG in the photo. Mm -hmm. And that's what you see on the back of your camera. So if you ever if you ever had this problem where you're like, you thought the details look good on the back of the camera and then you get it on the computer. That's part of the reason is you're not actually seeing the full resolution. Even when you zoom in, you're not seeing the full resolution version. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like a lot of, a lot of little details get lost. And so having this kind of review, like I work, I work pretty hard on this to get like a really good photo review experience. Um, and it's, awesome. it's weird. It's one of those things that like doesn't seem like a big deal, but once you have it, it's really, really nice to work with. Um, and obviously I'm trying to sell it, but I think, I think once, yeah. people, once, once people try it, they'll be like, yeah, this is, this is really nice. Is there uh so this works with Canon, Nikon and Sony. Mm -hmm. Is there one that, uh, is there one that's, that's a standout? Does one, does Canon, Nikon or Sony give you better information that just Arsenal is going to work better on? Um, the APIs are weirdly similar. Um, well the Sony API is a little different, but the sort of things they give me is pretty similar. Um, so I wouldn't say, yeah, I wouldn't really say there's a big difference in sort of end user experience, um, other than, I don't know the, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I really can't think of any. It's about like, all the same, huh? End user experience is about the same. Is we there also, one from your end that's a pain to work with or significantly better or not really? Uh, the Sony stuff took a little while because the, yeah, there's, I mean, they all sort of have their quirks. So, so I've had to like, you know, get all these cameras in and be testing on them and sure. stuff. So, so it's, it's a, it's a lot of work. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, no, actually, I will say the Canon stuff has had so many people, so many other people doing the same, like doing similar stuff that it's pretty well, like, you know, I can quickly Google and figure out why it doesn't do things in certain situations and, you know, create a workaround for it or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I think, can you know, just because so many people use Canon and there's there are other tools that let you remotely control cameras. So. Um, so, you know, the, a lot of that information's out there and just saves me the time of, um, trying things until I figure out like a lot, there's a bunch of things that, you know, for example, oh, I want a live view. Well, on some cameras, you have to put the mirror up first. You have to like tell it to put the mirror up. And, uh, some, yeah. and so like, there's all these sort of, um, order of operations problems <laughs> that, that, um, you know, that I've had to work through and just like code into the app. So, um, yeah, but generally, you know, they, they they're all kind of the same from an end user perspective. That's cool. So yeah. another thing that it does is automatic focus stacking. So if I have a very deep um, a deep shot, you know, a lot of depth of field to cover, you know, when we have a flower right next to the lens and then we go clear back to the sunset, then um, I'd want to, you know, focus close to, close to the lens, a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further, all the way to the background. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I didn't understand with that, though, is this is going to take my frames. Is that going to put it together as well? Yes, so it does the merging on the device and then writes it back to the SD card. And what whatever. format will it be written back to? Um, so you can pick between a JPEG or a 16-bit DNG. Um, oh, okay. So a DNG kind of, even on Canon and Nikon, huh? Mm, That's yes, going to be weird so, to see a DNG coming off a of Canon. Yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> Basically, so it, it's interesting to kind of dive into the technical details. It's it's kind. It's the same process basically Lightroom uses when you merge in HDR or something. Mm-hmm. It's technically it's like after the debayer, but you've kind of got all the raw information there. So so we we sort of you know we we take the raw files if you're shooting raw, and then we um, you know basically use those as input into the into the focus stacking algorithm, and then you know take that 16 bit out and write it into the DNG. So. Um, so it's nice cause you still have kind of all the latitude that you'd get, you know, if you were with your raw files, um, and then you can kind of, you can go from there. So, and we do leave another question I get a lot is, um, we leave the original files on there. Um, cool. so if you, you know, if you want to do that or, um, you know, if you decide you don't like how it stacked or something like that, you can go in and, and do that later. So, ah, yeah, that's, that's really, really handy. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see that. That's one where I, I don't think I would want to take the originals with focus stacking. Like, uh, eh, I just want the extra sharpness. I don't know if I need to like tweak yeah. this thing to death. So that's exciting. And honestly, I mean, I'm know, glad the, to have them, but, but I'm glad yeah. it's, it's done in the, in the device. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that I used to run into a lot when I would focus stack by hand is you just miscompute how many frames you need and where they need to be. Um, and so, you know, we can use, we can use this depth algorithm we have to sort of figure out where the, I mean, once you know how far away things like where, where the focus points are, you can, it's easy to figure out how many shots you need at what aperture and whatever. But, 
uh, we're able to kind of do that for you so that you don't end up, you know, I've had a lot of shots, especially my night shots where you have to stay pretty wide open. Um, I've like tried focus stacking at night by hand and you end up where it's like, oh, this part's in focus and then it's not. And then it's in focus again, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Uh, and so it just kind of takes, it takes some of the pain out of doing focus stacking. Cause it's actually, it's a great technique to get really, really sharp photos. Right. Um, cause you can shoot at the sweet spot, um, you know, and capture all that depth. So, um, and then I'm not sure if I mentioned too, we also do, um, you know, we do the kind of exposure bracketing, um, that gets, you know, merge down, does the merge also. And then the one, the one I actually use a lot is we'll do, um, average stacking. So we take the same shot, it'll take the same shot over and over again. Um, and then average the pixels together. And that basically simulates a long exposure. Um, so you don't, oh, okay. to, yeah. uh-huh. you don't have to pull out your ND filter. Now it doesn't work on a super bright day cause you won't be able to get a long enough shot you know, like in the, <laughs> like if you're, if you're already stopped down and it's one twentieth of a second or something, you know, like it's really short shutter, um, there'll be too much of a gap between the frames or whatever. But for most, most of the time, um, you know, when you're not shooting right in the middle of the day on a bright day, um, you can go ahead and, you know, basically take a whole bunch of shots and, and you end up with the same effect as, you know, a long exposure with an ND filter, but you don't, you don't have to pull out the ND filter and, you know, screw it on and do all that stuff so oh that's that's really cool i i'm i'm excited for this this uh sounds awesome the the features that i'm most excited about are the time lapse stuff i've been doing a lot more with time lapse man it's just fun there's so many yeah. situations where like a still photo it just in that specific spot it's like eh, it's okay yeah. but when you add the motion to some to some locations it just really comes alive Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if weather, if a storm's rolling in or something like that, boy, a time-lapse uh, does some things that you just can't capture in a photo. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I'm excited for that, for the focus stacking, uh, everything that should have been built into our cameras years ago <laughs> is finally right. here. Um, <laughs> it looks like the, your goal for shipping is between January and February of next year. Um, mm-hmm. end of, end of January. Yeah. End of January. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What do you think today the likelihood of hitting that date is? Because Kickstarter is notorious for yep. not hitting those dates or not shipping at all. Yep. Um, yeah, I believe a, in you. I think this sounds great, but it, it's a terrible track record. So uh, I, you know, like it, shipping hardware is hard. I'm not going to like pretend like it's not right. But um, I think one of the things we have going for us is I've been working on this full time for two years now. Um, and I, I wanted to make sure, you know, I talked to enough people. I knew that people were going to want this. I was, you know, as confident as I could be about it. Um, so I kind of just took the time to build out, you know, make sure that the software was done, that, you know, we had all the core features ready and that kind of the list of things between now and then was, was really just producing the product and polishing off a couple things, you know? Um, so you can, you can take a look if you're curious to kind of see where it's at right now. There's a video at the bottom of the, I saw the that. Kickstarter page. So a lot of Kickstarters, honestly, they kind of, you know, they come out with a product video and a very early prototype. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was something I didn't want to do cause I, you know, I know if I can, you know, as long as I can ship this on time, this will be a business for me. So um, you know, I've got the incentive to kind of, <laughs> kind of, uh, wait, uh, you know, have, I had the incentive to wait and kind of do it right. So, um, that said things obviously happened, but, um, you know, I feel like, uh, it, everything's, everything's, we've done our homework and, you know, things are, things are as 
prepared as we could be to to get it to get it out the door earlier on time. So, and we've left a lot of buffer too. That's that's another thing is a lot of campaigns have a shorter. You know, we've basically got a seven month window, and there's some campaigns that are like three months, and I'm like, that means if you miss one rev, you know, if one rev goes wrong, you're you know, <laughs> you're gonna get you're gonna get delayed. So, do you anticipate um, shipping in batches or get everybody at once? Um. So so we're doing we're doing a couple early runs. Um, so we're we're basically doing a review unit run right now so that we can get those in people's hands. Por favor, um, I would like one. Yes, I'll, I'll, <laughs> add, I'll add um, and then we're doing um, a, an early beta run so that we can, you know, if there's any bugs in the hardware, for example, that you don't have to fix four thousand of them. Right, exactly. <laughs> so that'll go out in November. So, and then we'll do our final run. Um, you know, that'll go out early November and then we'll do our final run um, probably late. like as soon as that gets in, we'll start the net. You know, once we get kind of the feedback from the beta users in November, um, you know, early January or late December, we'll try to do that. So um, anyway, it'll be it'll be interesting. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, having like like you said, you know, having kind of a couple runs is, is good so that you can make sure when the final big run happens that you've got all the kinks worked out. So. Yeah, exactly. And uh, where are you getting this manufactured? Have um, you decided so, on a manufacturer yet? Yes, but it's interesting. So if we pass 5,000 units, we, we got quotes from a whole bunch of different people. Um, but if we pass 5,000 units, we actually, there's a, there's, it sort of switches who's cheaper or uh -huh. who's best, best to go through. Uh -huh. uh, there's a, there's sort of, at that at that volume there's more and i'm talking more specifically about the the pcb the the board and the mm -hmm. uh, assembly of the board so it, it sort of switches who's um what machines to use at that point so um but yeah the nice the nice thing with arsenal is it's it's really it's actually sort of a simple product on the hardware side so it's really just a pcb with all the parts you know the fabricate the pcb and then the cases are injection molded and then we have these cables that were getting made and then boxes and packaging and there's the shipping side of it. But, um, so fortunately we don't have, you know, there's some, there's some people that have, you know, 50 items on their bill of material when yeah. they're doing a computer. And I can't imagine the, the logistics of that would be, yeah, <laughs> would be rough. So, so fortunately we've, we've, you know, this is sort of a product that, um, and, and PCB manufacturing fabrication is, is sort of commodity at this point. Like it's really, you know, it's, you send a you send them a board file and you you know orchestrate ordering the parts and stuff and um, you know there's kind of lots of places that'll put it together and do the testing and things like that for you. So, well, thank you for making this. I, I'm excited to play with it. I it looks like uh, something that I would definitely want to implement into my photography. One thing that I will mention because. 11% uh, of improved photography readers are Fuji. I neglected to mention earlier uh, that it does work on Fuji. I mentioned Canon, Nikon, Sony, but I neglected to say Fuji. Yeah, and, and I will say we only have a few Fuji cameras at this point. I actually just borrowed a X-T2 from a friend. I couldn't, had trouble renting them a little while ago. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, Fortunately, so. there aren't that many models uh, that, that right. are at least popular anyway. Yeah, if you got so, the X-T2, um, that's going to cover a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's been like one of the most requested. So so if you're an X-T2 user, check back in a week or something and see if I see if I can confirm that it'll work with Arsenal. So, <laughs> Awesome.
Well, Ryan, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to see everything that you're making. I hope everything continues to go well, uh, but uh, already to really close to $700,000 here, and you still have 20 days to go. So congratulations, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me.